morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Stephen DeWitt, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 21. The words will also be projected for you on the screen. We're looking forward to next week when I will get to make eye contact physically with many of you in the sanctuary. That should be quite wonderful. Uh, Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 21. Listen to God's word. They, that's Jesus and his disciples, went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came... Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet. Jesus said sternly, Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So during Epiphany, we're uh, in the middle of a sermon series where we're going through the gospel uh, lectionary texts, and we're talking about this thing we're calling Secret Jesus. And we're referring to this phenomenon in the gospels, this thing that happens in the gospels, which is called the messianic secret, which is um, that as Jesus begins his ministry, especially in the gospel of Mark, this comes across, Um, He was actively trying to keep his messianic identity a secret. He didn't want people to know who he was. He didn't want people to say out loud, publicly, that he was the Messiah. And we see this really clearly in the text that we read just a bit ago, verses 24 and 25. This man who is uh, possessed by this impure spirit in the synagogue says, Jesus, I know who you are. I know what's going on. You're the Holy One of God which is entirely true, and Jesus says, be quiet. He didn't want anybody to know, which is really quite strange because usually when people are saying true things, Jesus can get behind that. But why would Jesus tell this man to be quiet? Uh, Well, there are a few reasons, and and one of the most uh, significant reasons, perhaps, as we've been finding out the last few weeks, is that it was very important for Jesus that he would get to be the one who would define who he is and what he came to do. Everyone had their own ideas for who the Messiah should be. Everyone had their own ideas for what was wrong with the world and what needed to be done and and how the Messiah should show up in the world and what the Messiah should do. But Jesus wasn't going to let anyone else define who he was as the Messiah or what the Messiah should be doing. The point being, we love to place Jesus in our own categories. 
Republicans love to make a Republican out of Jesus. And Democrats love to make a Democrat out of Jesus. And nations and denominations and cultures and congregations love to imagine Jesus as being one of their own. We want to imagine that uh, Jesus sees things exactly the way that we see things and that he likes all of the things that we like and that he hates all of the things that we hate. Anne Lamott says in one of her books, she says, you can safely assume that you have created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you hate. I love that quote, but it makes me uneasy because it hits a little bit too close to home. And so, early on in his ministry, as people start to point at Jesus, and they start to identify him, and they say, wait a minute, I know who you are. Oh, I know this guy. I can tell you about this guy. I know what's going on with this guy. He backs away from their labels. Because while their words were technically accurate, that he is the Holy One of Israel, that he is the Messiah, Uh, the people who were using those words to identify Jesus didn't actually know what those words meant. They didn't know what what it meant that he was the Messiah. And Jesus, spoiler alert, was never going to be the kind of Messiah that they wanted him to be. Jesus insisted that he maintain his own authority. He had the authority to say who he was. He had the authority to identify himself, and he never surrendered to anyone else's suggestions for his authority. The text that we read this morning is about authority. Who has the authority to make decisions for the Messiah? Who has the authority to define the tasks of the Messiah? Who has the authority to say what is wrong and what is right? Who has the authority to tell us how we should live our lives. These are very interesting questions for us to consider. We hand out a lot of authority to various people in our lives. There are some people in our lives who we give a lot of authority to. There are some people in our lives who they say jump and we say, how high? There are some people in our lives who can move us and influence us and control us simply by glancing in our direction. We hand out a lot of authority, sometimes to people who deserve our authority and sometimes to people who do not. There are other people in our lives who we give no authority to, even if maybe we should. How dare your mother suggest that you eat that vegetable? How dare your doctor suggest that you get some cardio? Or uh, that friend who's always telling you to do that thing, And she's the kind of person who is like almost always right about everything and you know that she's probably right about this thing too but you don't want to give her the satisfaction. There are those to whom we give all kinds of authority in our lives uh, even without thinking about it and there, there are those to whom we give no authority in our lives even if maybe we should. 
but we'd rather not. So the question is, who should have the ability to tell us how to live our lives? Who has the authority to define our reality? Who has the authority to tell us how we, how we should think and how we should move forward in this world? Well, when Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, when he walks into this synagogue, pretty much nobody in there knew anything about him. And he walked into that sanctuary with a handful of confused-looking, brand-new disciple recruits who had nothing to say and looked like they had no idea what they were doing. And then as the service went on, at some point, Jesus must have been recognized or acknowledged. Uh, oh, look, here's uh, young Rabbi Jesus of Nazareth. Rabbi, come forward and, and share some of your thoughts. Which, by the way, is not something that every preacher hopes for, that they'll be recognized and asked to say a few words. No, thank you. But Jesus, without a bit of hesitation, stands up in the sanctuary and walks to the front of the room like he owns the place. And he paces back and forth in that synagogue like it was his home. Like the synagogue itself was constructed with him in mind. And then he begins to speak. And it was unlike anything that anybody had ever heard before. It's not that he preached from a text that no one had ever preached from before. And it's not like he was saying things that no one had ever said before. It was more that the things that he said and the way that he said those things had such powerful and immediate value to them. He spoke, it says in the text, he spoke as one who had authority for a change. So that, uh, in the same way that he, that Jesus walked to the front of that synagogue like it was made for him, he preached from the word of God as though the word of God was written about him. He had this authority that other people didn't have. And it wasn't, it wasn't arrogance, strangely. And it wasn't that he had a swagger. In fact, somehow, uh, when he spoke, he was utterly humble. But he, sp he spoke from a position and with a sense of, of, of urgency and immediacy that no one had ever experienced before. For what it's worth, uh, in the Bible... Uh, if you go back through and look at cases like this, whenever, whenever a, a, a priest or a patriarch was, was going to read from Scripture, he would always begin by saying, as it is written, and then he would go on to say the thing. And in the Bible, whenever a prophet would make some kind of prophetic announcement about where to go or what to do or what was going to happen, the prophet would always conclude his or her speech by saying, thus saith the Lord, just to inform the audience that the, that the prophecy itself came from God. Do you know how Jesus would very often begin his sermons? He would say, truly, truly, I say to you. Which is very different. As though he was speaking on no one's behalf but his own. 
So here's the main difference between the way that, that, that uh, priests and patriarchs and prophets talked and the way that Jesus talked. Priests and patriarchs and prophets, they stood between God and his people and they were used as mouthpieces for the Almighty. And just so that there was no confusion about who actually had the authority and where the message was actually come from, they would say things such as, as it is written, or they would say, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, on the other hand, essentially says, listen up. That's the difference between being the mouthpiece for the Almighty and being the Almighty. That's the difference between being a, a teacher and an, an, an interpreter and a preacher of the Word of God and being the Word of God. The reason that Jesus projected such authority and such gravitas in the synagogue that day is because he was the one for whom that synagogue was built. No wonder he felt at home there, right? No wonder he walked around like he owned the place. Uh, no wonder uh, people were amazed at the, at the power and the immediacy of everything that he had to say. Because the worshipers in the synagogue that morning were hearing directly from a primary source. That's where the authority was coming from. He never said, uh, uh, as it is written. He never said, thus saith the Lord. It was simply, truly, truly, I say to you. So to answer the question from before, who has the ability to tell us how to live our lives? Who has the authority to interpret our present reality? The creator of our present reality, that's who. The architect of our existence, the engineer of our present reality. Here's the thing. Our world... Everything that we know, everything that we experience on a daily basis, our world was designed in a particular way. And we as human beings were designed in a particular way so that when we get, a, there are things we can do to get the most out of our lives. Okay? For example, um, your cell phone. Your cell phone, my cell phone, these things were designed to be used in a certain way for certain things. The designers, and the engineers and the creators of our phones will tell you that our phones should be used for such things as making phone calls and playing Candy Crush and buying uh, things we shouldn't buy from our Instagram feed and so on. The creators and engineers and designers of our phones will tell you that our phones should not be used as bath toys. Our phones are not meat thermometers. Uh, uh, our phones should never be used as a hammer. Why? That would be using it wrong. That's not what it was designed for. That's not what it was creating it for. And the, the, user, or the creators of our phones will tell us, if you use them in that way, they will break. It's the same thing with us. It's the same thing with our lives. When our lives are being used in ways that they're not meant to be used, it will not go well for us. 
We are designed and engineered and built according to the specifications and purposes of our Creator. And we will best function when we allow Him to be the ultimate authority that dictates how we function in this world. So that if we show up in our lives and we only live for ourselves and our primary goal is to amass resources for ourselves and to hoard things and to become wealthy, wealthy in money, wealthy in power, wealthy in influence, wealthy in beauty, wealthy in anything else, what's going to happen to us? We'll break. We weren't made for that. Or if we fail to see the image of God in our enemies and we continually vilify those people and we continue to find excuses to dislike those people, what's going to happen to us? We will break. Our lives will fall apart. Why? We weren't made to do that kind of thing. We're not engineered for that function. Or if we fail to fall in love with God and to love Him deeply and genuinely and passionately, and if we fail to live humble lives of humble gratitude to Him, what will happen to us? We'll fall apart. Take the guy in the, in the text, for example. Um, it's, it says that this man in the text was, was possessed by an impure spirit or possessed by an evil spirit. Um, the vast majority of us are unfamiliar with what that means, <laughs> with what spiritual possession is or demonic possession is, uh, myself included. And many of us just don't really have a frame for understanding what that means. That's another sermon, okay? But what we can say and what we can all understand and what we can identify with is the fact that this man's life was subject to an improper authority. There was something in this man's life that had authority over him that should not have had authority over him. And his life was being dictated by an authority that had no right to dictate who he was, where he went, or how he thought, or how he spoke. And it was breaking him. We are not meant to have our lives managed by impure spirits. We're not made for it. We're not meant to give authority to things or people or values or ideas that don't deserve it, that shouldn't have that authority. And just as was the case with the man in this text, when we do submit to the authority of the one who created us, and the one who designed us, and the one who engineered us, and the one who loved us, when we do begin to submit to that authority, we start to heal. Is there anyone out there today who would like to start to heal? To whom are we giving our authority? What fear or anxiety has absolutely taken over our lives, even possessed us? Who 
are we allowing to interpret our present reality? Who has so painted over the universe around us that we can't even see through the mirage anymore? The difference between Jesus and every other authority that we might give uh, authority to is that only he is the designer. Only he is the engineer. Only he is the creator. And only he can bear the weight of our expectations. Jesus had to keep his messianic identity something of a secret because he knew (laughs) that he's not the Messiah we want him to be. This hasn't changed in 2,000 years. But he is the Messiah that we need. That hasn't changed either. What authority is taking, way too up, taking up way too much real estate in your brain and your heart and in mine. And what are the things that Jesus is saying over and over and over again that you and I need to hear? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, just as you healed the man in our text this morning, we pray that you would speak words of healing over each of us today so that whatever thing is possessing our hearts, whatever fear has captured our minds, we would be relieved of that. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would have the humility and the trust to give you authority over our lives that we would trust you patiently as best we can, offering you um, every offering we can of humility and gratitude and patience along the way. Thank you for what you have done for us and what you continue to do to us, for us. Speak into our lives, Jesus. Amen.